If you're using the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 886 to find the Gospel of John. We began this last week, the first Sunday of Advent, and we continue this morning. I'll read from verse 1 through verse 13, but we'll be dealing with primarily verses 3 uh, through 11, and then next week we'll uh, hit 12 and 13. This past week we studied this seeming tremendous paradox that the Word was God and yet was with God. And we see that there is fellowship and relationship and family within the one God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, by your Spirit, enable us to lay hold afresh this word, this Son, this one who came in the flesh. O oh Lord, may we rejoice in him, receive him, and Lord, live out his life in this dark world. We pray for your glory and honor. Amen. Okay, kids, uh, three words to remember. First word is kiss. Hoo, 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 hoo. All right, kiss, then low point. Kind of go from high point to low point, right? Kiss, low point, and abundant. Abundant at the end. Now, our, t our uh, text divides pretty easily. Verse 3 talks about creation, and the rest of this talks about Life and light. So we'll basically have those two sections in our study. Having told us about the God of creation in verses 1 and 2, that this God already was when, before creation, and that he existed in a plurality of persons in a relationship, it then goes on to tell us that he created. 
And you see that with these two persons, all things were made by God through the word. Now, this doesn't mean that God was too weak to do it himself and he had to rely on the word. It's not as though he had to have the word to help him like I do sometimes if I'm moving a big heavy table and my son-in-law or one of my sons is there and you know I can't move it by myself. That's not what he's saying. But it means that he made the world through this, the word making the world. The word made the world and God made the world through the son making the world. They acted in perfect, perfect concert. The word acted on behalf of God. That is, the Son acted on behalf of the Father. The Word was the direct agent who accomplished the Father's purpose in creation. And of course, we're dealing with two persons who are both God, sharing the same infinite wisdom, knowledge, goodness, and power. And John makes it clear he made every single particle of the universe. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So he didn't have a minor role. Everything you see, hear, touch, smell, and taste was made by the Word, the Son of God who came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He made everything around you and around me. And everything you can't. So he made all the visible things and all the invisible things. Everything. And so omnipotence is set forth right up front. As creator, he acted on a world. As we read in Genesis 1. That was without form and void and darkness filled was over the face of the deep. So no form. It was void it was dark, and he gave it order, he gave it life, he gave it light. He is the creator. And that's why immediately John mentions life and light, because it follows from his being the creator. But being the creator of the world implies always in scripture, then he's the sustainer of the world. If he creates it, the world can never have an independent existence because he made it. And its continuing uh, presence, existence, depends entirely upon the creator. And so when Paul is talking about the Son in Colossians chapter 1, he says, By him all things were created, parallel to John, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So he stresses the fact that all the powers that you see are all the powers that you don't see. They're just his creation. They can't come against God. They can't alter God's purpose ultimately. They're his little creations, these mighty beings, whether physical or not. And then he says... And he is before all things, as John says here. He already was when creation occurred. He is before all things, and here it is. In him all things hold together. If he created all things, 
then he must continue every moment to hold all things together. That is our Savior. That is the one who came in the flesh. That is the one who is in the manger. Even then, as God, and this freaks my mind out, even then, as God, he did not cease to be God, and he continued to hold the whole world together, the whole universe. And in Hebrews 1, you can always remember Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, both talk about the majesty of the Son. We read that God created the world through his Son, and then that the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. Holds all things together, upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. No wonder that Jesus said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I give it up on my own. That is, of my own accord. That is, I choose to do that. Nobody takes it from me. And you think, yeah, nobody could take it from you. You're upholding them. You're, you're keeping them alive. So you could just stop that and they couldn't do anything. As God, he had to sustain the lives of those who tortured his human body as he died for a world that rejected him. It's astonishing. And we need to stay, be astonished and stay astonished at this marvel that the God who created and upholds the world died for us. We read this last week, but the hymn says, Who is this so weak and helpless child of lowly Hebrew maid, rudely in a stable sheltered, coldly in a manger laid? Tis the Lord of all creation who this wondrous path has trod. He is God from everlasting and to everlasting God. And so, brothers and sisters, when others ridicule, don't be ashamed of your Lord and Creator who at the same time as a human being is hanging on a cross. But see his glory. See that this was his choice. See that this is how he used his almighty authority to give himself up for his people. And remember, as creator, he is also judge of the world. The one who hangs on a cross must not be rejected. He is the judge of the world. And so another hymn says, Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set it not and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing shall the true Messiah see. Every island, sea, and mountain, heaven and earth shall flee away. All who hate him must confounded hear the trump proclaim the day. Come to judgment, come to judgment, come to judgment, come away. He is not a Christ to be pitied. He is almighty God. Give him the honor, do his name. And I love, this is one of my favorite passages in Psalm 2. As he's spoken in this psalm about the son, 
to whom the Lord will give the whole kingdom, will give him the inheritance of the whole earth. Then there's an address to us. Worship the Lord with fear, that is reverence and awe, trust and love. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, the Almighty God has come to die for us, to give himself up, to make atonement for sin so that we can take him as our refuge and we can belong to him and shelter under him. But if we refuse him, if we refuse this magnificent offer of the creator of all things to be our savior and to die in our place, nothing is left for us but judgment and wrath. Oh, take refuge. Take refuge in him. Then he immediately says, after talking about creation, in him was life. Follows directly from creating all things. That in him is the ultimate power of all life. As Morris says, only because there was life in the word is there life in anything on earth at all. Because <laughs> all infinite life exists in him. So here he's not talking about he made life. He says in him was life, you see. The whole source, the infinite source of all life is in him. Life doesn't exist by itself and of itself. And it carries a double meaning in John. You have to think of creation here because it follows right on the heels. Also in verse 9 that we read, it says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, enlightening, enlightening all humanity. And so there's a reflection of life that goes out in creation and a certain light, as we'll talk about, that goes into all creation. But the primary meaning and the one that builds into the rest of John is the spiritual aspect of life and light where John calls it the life or the eternal life that comes in Christ. You refuse to come to me that you may have life, John 5, 40. As we remember, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and as Lord of life, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he says in John 8, and this is judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the life because their works were evil. There you get a hint of how bad we are as human beings by nature, that life comes to us and We'd rather have darkness than life. That's the contrast. I would rather have darkness. Darwin would rather have darkness than life. If life means submitting and giving myself to this God and admitting who I am and trusting in Jesus Christ. But the one plays off the other. If he's the Lord of creation, he's the Lord of the new creation. He's the Lord of redemption as he's the Lord of creation. 
and he says that life was the light of men. Immediately he goes from life to light. And this is so much like Genesis 1 as well. And, and this whole passage is meant for us, intends for us to think about Genesis 1 as we think about what John is writing. Because God in the first place said, let there be light. So this life is the light of man. And this spiritual light is the light that Jesus, the Son, will bring into human darkness. I've come into the world as light. If you follow him, you will not walk in darkness, but you have the light of life, John 8, 12. And it can be kind of confusing how light and life are related here. I think it helps to look at verse 18 where he says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. And so in making known the Father, he made him known in his life and more even in his death as he revealed who God truly is. He unveiled God to us. That's light breaking in upon us. The light of who God really is which becomes our life, our hope to live again, to live in fellowship with this God. The revelation that this God is a God who sacrifices himself and that atonement is made and now the good news is you can receive forgiveness and come into fellowship with the living God. So it's light, it's revelation of God and it's a new life. And this darkness is the evil environment that we've created and in which we live because it says we love the darkness. We love our whole world of darkness, all the connections we have in our darkness and not the light by nature. And we're to follow him so we don't walk in this darkness. It's interesting then that it says the light shines in the darkness and in a one-time event, that's the specific meaning of this verb, the darkness has not overcome it. It did not overcome it. So the light shines and it said darkness didn't overcome it. Like a done deal. Like it's over. It's, it's finished. The darkness didn't overcome it. So he's giving us this good news from the start because darkness overtakes light at the end of every day. And if you're out lost somewhere, it can be terrifying. And sometimes that overtakes people before they realize it. And they're really in trouble. They're already lost and now they're really in trouble. But he is saying to us that the darkness did not overtake this light. It has not overtaken it and it will not overtake it. As Michaels writes, the light has emerged victorious and the light shines on in the darkness. This is a fact right from the beginning. Good news. The light has taken over. The light is on the move. The darkness cannot and will not stop it. That is good news. As John writes in his letter at, toward the end of the Bible, chapter 2, verse 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now that's a positive. 
no matter how dark it is in this world, we say the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's our reality, brothers and sisters. No matter how dark it may be for a church, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. No matter how dark it is for a family or an individual, believe that the darkness has not and cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. The darkness is passing. The light is already shining. Live out that with hope. It gives you strength and encouragement as you face the terrible difficulties and tragedies of this life. To lay hold of the reality that you have in Jesus Christ. And John's, the mention of John really is a kind of interruption because this could go from verse 5 to verse 9 without a beat. But it's inserted. And it's to show the uniqueness of this light. There's one and only light. Even someone as great as John, he's simply a witness to the light. So don't, make them, don't mistake one for the other. The word is the unique light. And he's making the point that John was a man bearing witness to the light that created the world who said, let there be light, who is the light of every man whose light the darkness could not overcome. He's just bearing witness. Trust only in him. But then it's also underscoring the importance of the light. It's emphasized in John's witness. It comes as an interruption, as I said, but it's embedded here. It can't be separated. So even as John, the writer, the author, announces the light, this light comes with a witness. Let me be a witness. <laughs> Give me a witness. And it says witness three times to just... Put it in highlights. Put it in bold. Look to him. Don't miss this light. There's a witness that comes to it, pointing to it, urging you to it, putting more focus on it. Don't miss this light, brothers and sisters. That's what John is saying to you and me. And then... It also shows the importance and dignity of bearing witness because we are in a position like John of bearing witness to this light. Just like John, our whole purpose is gained from bearing witness to Christ who is the light, appointing people away from ourselves to him. Now, that doesn't mean we're all, you know, hitting the streets, knocking on doors. It means in your everyday life, in your everyday circumstances, in your work, in your labor, in your life, in your home, you're seeking to make Christ known, to bear witness to his glory by your life conforming to his ways and beginning to have the aroma of Christ in everything that you do. It gives a new dignity to all of life. It doesn't reduce life to evangelism. It expands life into every single part of life becomes another way that I can bear witness to the beauty and glory of Christ by my life, by my words, by my thoughts, 
by my goals. So, our dignity and value comes from our association with Christ. Our glory comes from exalting the true light of Christ. Our glory comes from getting to announce him in word and deed. Every day, you wake up to that glory. You bear witness by everything you do and say and think of the glory of Christ. What a privilege. And finally, we must not refuse this light. We must not refuse this light. John emphasizes here, not John the Baptist, but John the writer, the uh, the seriousness of our rejection of the light. The word made the world. It is his world. The world rejected him not because he's a stranger, but because it's estranged from him, from its own creator. As Ritterboss says, the world should have known him. After all, you're made by this God. The same feeling Paul says in Romans 1 when they've seen the glory of God in creation. They're without excuse. None of us has any excuse. He has revealed himself to us. They should have known him. But the world doesn't know its own maker. The resistance of the creature against the creator, of humankind against its own redemption. Yet that is the description of every one of us by nature. Even when the suffering God is announced to us to rescue us by nature, we say, no, I'd rather have the darkness than the light. And then, as if that were not enough, he says he came to his own. The Jewish nation adopted as God's own possession, but they would not receive him as a welcomed guest. The people of Israel are now against their own God who has come to them in the flesh. Those whom he had redeemed in Egypt and led through the Red Sea and bore up in eagles' wings in the desert. He gave them manna and water in the desert and brought them into the land of Canaan, came to their rescue again and again. He came to them in the person of Christ and they would not have it. When it says he came to his own, it's the same as in John 19, 27, same phrase, where Jesus said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own. That's all it reads originally. But it's understood to mean to his own home, right? Well, that's this. Jesus, the the word came to his own home. He came home and they would not have him. They would not have him. And Ritterboss says, at this point, the prologue reaches its low point. But brothers and sisters, don't think you or I are better than these Jewish people. They're not separate from you or me. They're not different from you or me. They represent us, don't you see? They represent us. 
They represent all humanity. They did what you and I would have done. Their guilt is our guilt. If left to ourselves and our own hearts, we are looking at what we would have done. The Jews are just a mirror. Just a mirror. So John puts center stage this unspeakable, disgusting atrocity that stains the history of mankind. He came and we did not know him. We did not receive him. This is the greatest of tragedies that could ever occur in human history. Nothing could be worse. Humanity can sink no lower than this. And Jesus, in talking about his own rejection in John 15, says, they hated me without cause. Probably the most stabbing verse in all scripture to me personally. Darwin, you hated me without cause. Why? And you begin to ask, what is it in me that doesn't want prayer, doesn't want the word, it doesn't just everything in me running after this God? What is it? Oh Lord, rescue me. Rescue me. Save me from my guilt and transform me by your power. For John, this really defined his coming and the reaction to him. This basically summed up the whole for John. But there's another part of the story that we read, and this becomes the first challenge to us because there are some that believed him. So right away, John is putting this before you. Will you run with the crowd? Will you stay a part of the world? Or will you know him? Will you reject him even as his own people rejected him? Will you be one of those who receive him? In this gospel, John will basically say that the world, even his own people, refused him. But I say he is Messiah, the Son of God. And I'm going to lay out his glory through all the signs and teaching, and I'll challenge you to believe in him. As he says toward the end in chapter 20, I could have written about so many more signs. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, he's putting out right away. Don't, don't close your eyes to this. He was rejected. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Will you believe in this Christ do you know him? Have you received him? To know him is to be joined to him and participate in his life, to draw from his unlimited resources, to abide in him, to fellowship with him. He died in the place of sinners, bearing the punishment that they deserve so that they can be forgiven and restored to God. And in this great paradox, through his death, He's the source of all life and light because through his death, God's glorious love breaks out into our hearts. God, our creator, is a God who dies to rescue people, who dies that they might have life. He dies suffering in the darkness 
of the judgment they deserve so that they can escape the darkness. John said in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundant or abundantly. And life means a life that is changing, that is changed and changing. A life different a life growing and transforming, a life manifesting love more and more boldly and beautifully in more and more ways. It's a life that more and more conforms to Christ itself. That's the abundant life, whether you have Mercedes or not, right? Be careful how you define the abundant life. Do you know Jesus Christ He's there to be known. The author, John, was sent by Christ with this message about Christ so that you might know Christ. It's the Lord Jesus himself who's seeking after you. He is seeking after you. And even Paul would say of himself, and he says this of all who might stand in the place of proclaiming that God is urging you, begging you through the message that you're hearing. Be reconciled to God. Come to this Savior, Jesus Christ, and receive life. Trust him. Entrust yourself to him. Admire him. Enjoy him. Come to know the God that made you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we praise your name for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. We praise your name that you, God the Son, took flesh and became a human being and did sleep in a manger. And you were raised and you had a life of love and teaching and then your death in the place of sinners. Oh Lord, God of heaven and earth, God who sustains all things, who upholds the whole universe, you gave yourself for us. Oh, may we adore you and tremble. May we truly, in the imagery of Psalm 2, kiss the Son. Oh, Lord, give us grace to do it, or we will not. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.